Hi everyone and welcome back to the Vichara podcast, the place where we hold space for conversations about the sacred, the raw and the real. And I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Jenna McDonald, who um, I know through Advaita Vedanta studies. We have the same teachers in the lineage of Swami Dayananda Saraswati. And um, I first met Jenna at a retreat. I think we decided it was back in 2014. And I've been a big fan of hers ever since. She is a woman that definitely walks her talk and has been immersed in the teachings and really integrated the teachings. And what I love about Jenna is her integrity, um, her wisdom, her grace. She is a woman that has inspired me from afar for many, many years. And today we're diving into the topic of mothering. Um, Conscious parenting is a hot topic, but also looking into the intersection or the place where spiritual life meets this parenting and co-parenting and especially in Jenna's case it's been mothering and what that means to her and how she has looked upon that journey and lessons she has been able to extract and we get to hear about a bunch of her tools and perspectives on this particular phase in her life and um what I really love about Jenna is that she she has this modern yoga type mindset and approach, but she is really immersed in lineage and the ancient teachings. And so it's this beautiful dance between, you know, contemporary thinking and um, applying these ancient teachings um, in, in the midst of contemporary modern life. I just really hope that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I think this is one out of many conversations to be held with Jenna. Uh, She's a beautiful, beautiful being, and I have to say I'm sorry about the audio quality in parts of this episode. It was recorded over Zoom, and there is some sort of a reverb feedback happening when sometimes when I speak. I think it's in my headset, so if there's any audio gurus out there that can help me set me up or tell me what to use when recording on zoom um that would be awesome and um i am actually doing this on a rented computer because my computer crashed about a month ago so there's some sort of notifications giving some blings every now and again i don't know how to turn them off um so sorry about that but i hope that you can overlook the extra noise it's not terribly bad but i just want to give you the heads up and i hope that you can actually hear the deeper message of the conversation instead of getting distracted for that little extra noise um yeah i'm just excited to have us dive deep so without further ado let's talk to jenna mcdonald all right Yay. I'm super excited about today's conversation. We have Jenna McDonald in the house. Hi, Jenna. Hello, Hansa. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, before we begin, I want to give a little bit of a background as to how our paths crossed. And um, yeah, just kind of give a little bit of background on who you are and where you're at and what's going on for you. And we can just kind of take it from there. Great. Um, so I realized we met in what, 2012, long time ago, <laughs> 2014, I think. Yeah. Was it? Okay. Yeah, my son 
was there. <laughs> oh, cool. So we, Yoti and I, we were facilitating a retreat, an Advaita Vedanta retreat with Kristen and our teacher Radha, who is a direct disciple of Swami Dayananda Saraswati. And you were coming a little later than the rest of the participants. And there was this anticipation building about this jenna that's about to come. And I remember you coming really late at night and you, yeah. your flight was delayed or came in really late. I can't remember yeah. why. Um, and you just had this integrity and presence that I was just so incredibly intrigued by and I remember sitting in class and you were in the very front row at Radha's feet and we you were literally asking the questions that I was thinking and they came out of your mouth before I could even you know put them towards myself and you were so you could tell that there was so much inquiry, so much contemplation behind every question. And I was like, hmm, I really like this girl. <laughs> uh, and we got to spend a week together and then you took off to go home. And I think Bainbridge Island was your home then too, correct? Yes, correct. And yeah, we just stayed in touch and I've been watching you from afar and your offerings have morphed from being passion for practice correct me if I'm wrong. And now you go under the name of devoted yogi and you offer a whole bunch of beautiful yoga lifestyle related offerings to the population on Bainbridge Island. Correct. I'm, I'm just really excited that we could nail this moment and share a moment in conversation because this is a long time coming. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, will you give us a glimpse of what's going on for you these days? What's what's happening in your world? And then we can dive dive in. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I just want to honor the fact that, you know, synchronicity is on our side. And it's so interesting how things have to just ripen. You know, like you said, it's a long time coming for this conversation. But, um, you know, as a planet and a, a culture, as a people, we've gone through so much in the last few years. And I really believe that now people are, are ready for some of these conversations, you know, in a way that they might not have been before. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to be like brought to our knees first, right? And then, <laughs> and then <we're> <laughs> indeed. Yeah. So um, that in some ways encapsulates, you know, what's happened with me. Uh, I've been brought to my knees so many times in the last, I would say, 10 years uh, since I want to call it like since leaving Camelot, you know, since leaving the ashram and having a baby and um, transitioning into my mothering body and my experience of spirituality uh, from a mothering positionality that's changed everything for me. And, you know, we'll talk, we'll get more into like what that actually looks like and the depth of that. But I think for right now, it suffices to say that, yes, I, I did start as passion for practice. Um, for me in the beginning, it was just all about how do I find the conduct, the practices, the sadhanas um, that align me with where I really want to be in this lifetime and, and then replicating those and doing them over and over again. And so that was my passion for practice. Yay. <laughs> And then it, and then something shifted in me as I um, prepared, even before my daughter was conceived, I could feel her coming. And, 
and her energy was that of of the divine goddess and of devotion you know so then it really shifted to like what is what is passion as it matures and it becomes compassion you know mm. it becomes like with others we do something mm-hmm. and this has been probably the largest teaching of my life um which is essentially enlightenment is shared we we have these ideas i think going into practice or sadhana as like zestful youth um that we will have our own enlightenment like it will be ours <laughs> um but that just it doesn't happen that way and and that's almost like a, a hindrance on the path so um raya really taught me about compassion and shared experience and uh, what it looks like to um i guess come out of a lifetime of of subtle you know nihilism or narcissism that our culture even infuses into spirituality mm-hmm. so i feel like i'm in recovery <laughs> from a market economy culture and yep. and now i have the context for my awakening that that means so much more yeah yeah it's so beautifully put and i i feel like we've gotten glimpses of that through watching you from afar but i've always known that there is so much happening within you obviously that's not shared on social platforms or public platforms <laughs> And I'm just curious to know what that process has been like. And I also happen to have a lot of friends who just had kids or have young children. And and I feel like you are such a way shower in the way that you have let motherhood become your practice or how how it's not a differentiation anymore between spiritual life and family life or you know your life as a teacher or everything has just merged so beautifully for you and i'm sure not every moment has been graceful but what are some of the teachings that have come out of that for you what was your anticipation going into being pregnant for example and what were some of your you know thoughts on this is what i want to bring into my life with my children like has there been any type of pre-thoughts or precognitions and then you know life just showed you otherwise or uh, whatever you feel like sharing i just feel like this is such a you know rabbit hole that we could go down but i'm just curious to know what you're you're interested in sharing and i would love to hear your your um perspective on all of all of the above yeah absolutely Um so I love the question of like was there any precognition um that word means a lot of things to me but for now I'm going to take the spirit of it as like you know before I had my children was there any prep work that I did was there you know anything that that I um any sadhanas I had um and the answer to that is yes um before my first child which was almost 10 years ago now in 2012 um before i had adi um i i basically had lived primarily on and off at the ashram for about 4 years and was just i would say like you know neck deep in the teachings they were my life and and yet um i had a lot of maturing to do you know i was still young i was like 27 when i had him so 26 when i conceived and um and so what i would like to bring is kind of twofold and and one is the things i did before birth um 
paved the way for what I would call like a healing or a gentle birth that then paved the way into uh, an experience for my children that is unique Mm -hmm. and that lands them in a position of really not having some of the same um, fears and abandonment, things that go along with industrialized birth, um, things that we don't talk about. And so I think, you know, in me, um, having come from a really deep teaching of the Bhagavad Gita and of duty and of Dharma, it was like, okay, if I'm having this child, what is my Dharma um, to this child? Like, what is my sacred duty? in that scenario. And for me, it was um, both creating, you know, the best cellular support I could give him, you know, from a like holistic, you know, foods and movement and fresh air and all of those things that we kind of, we either already have in our lives, or we know we need Mm -hmm. in our lives for wellness. So there was like the combination of really making time for all that, making that my priority. And I think what, what people don't tell you is when you make like deep wellness and coming out of time in order to be with oneself, your priority, you make sacrifices in financial life, in social life, you know, um, in growth, you know, in the material world, you really do, you make choices. Mm -hmm. So I did make those choices, um, and they weren't always easy. You know, I'm still like in recovery from some of those choices and we can get more into that. But there was that. And then there was just this idea of conscious conception, you know, that, um, and, and this is really huge because, you know, uh, you use the word motherhood. And, and to me, that, that word is really sticky. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that word is, is more of an institutionalized experience of parenting as a mother in a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the essence is um, we're kind of, how do I want to put this? Um, we're primed for certain things. Like we're primed to think that we need um, our life partner and that the love of that partnership is going to beget a child, you know, or that being a wife comes first and being a mother comes second. Um, and that wasn't my experience. So I just want to name that that my experience was about mothering from the beginning and about this being um, that I felt wanted to come into the world through me and um, not having those securities in place, let's say, of um, a secure attachment with a partner or the, I would say also the social security of what marriage does for for a woman. which, you know, is a whole nother episode probably, mm-hmm. but, you know, coming into it from that position of, I, I am here as part of my path to mother and that mothering is going to uh, change me inherently. And it's going to um, give another being either their best opportunity, you know, towards um, enlightenment and contribution in this world, or it's going to give them um, a challenging start at that, you know? And so my focus was, of course, like, how do I build the right container? Mm -hmm. Um, So that being said, uh, the other thing I want to bring up here is, is birth itself. Like we, I think 
really separate in our culture and even maybe in spirituality, um, we, we don't have a ton of images of the goddess that are messy, um, that are birth, that are about what happens when we choose to, you know, sacrifice what could be our life for another human being. And, um, and that process is such a huge initiatory process. And I just want to say that, you know, for all mothers out there um, and, and all parents and all men who are with a mother, um, it, it's such a massive, um, like you use your body as collateral, as a pure investment almost, right? And there's my market language, like you use it um, to give to another. Um, so really it is a gift <laughs> mm -hmm. and, you know, but I think in our culture, we have this idea that it's like the birth happened. And then there's like this neat package, you know, the way they like wrap up babies and deliver them to parents. Mm -hmm. It's like this, um, clean thing, but, but the birth itself, you know, for the mothering body is a radical experience of gifting and, um, a huge transmission in itself. And so I think, you know, I just want to speak to the fact that um, birthing itself changed me inherently. And, um, and it also changed my body in ways that were not um, magnificent. It, it tapped my adrenals almost completely. That's what birth does. And without the container of like a village model, um, I found myself, you know, mothering what I call in the red, like, mm -hmm my inner resources were tapped mm. and yet I was trying to continue life as if it was the same. And everyone else was looking at me like, Oh, this is so beautiful. You have this baby, you know, you should just relax and enjoy the process. But my biological truth was just relax. I have no adrenal support left. Like my body's actually still in fight or flight, not because even with a gentle birth, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that whole experience, um, brought me into another relationship with sadhana because, um, I think in the past it was like, I had all these practices that kept me above water, that kept me, um, responding instead of reacting. But then there I was with a biological system that wasn't truly supported, you know, in a context that did not know how to support the mother or see her in her, her moment, you know, of needing that repair and restoration. Um, and so that was very complex those first years, you know, I can only imagine. Yeah. It's a wild thing that I still, I don't see much written about it, you know, and I don't see it spoken of, especially, um, in spiritual communities, mm -hmm. um, about, you know, what is the place of, of the mother? And even the question, like, you know, how do I bring um, spirituality into my mothering mm -hmm. is interesting because the mothering itself kind of like swallowed spirituality and like spat it back out, you know, yeah, <laughs> in a way that I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Well, this is why I wanted to talk to you about it because I could like, I know that you had such deep inquiry and contemplation and, and spiritual life before, and then you went through this portal and um, what comes out on the other side 
is just mind-blowing to me. I'm sure it can take any shape and form for different mothers, but I guess the umbrella here is conscious parenting, and I'm sure there is a level of this deep, deep, deep surrender, which you're forced to, even for a dad, um, but you have the mother story. Um, so that's obviously what I want to dive into that angle of it, but just that surrender i mean can there be any other deeper surrender when you literally have to give your life to another being and it's obviously a choice but mm -hmm. to me it's it's you know the essence of our spiritual life mm -hmm. that's a beautiful um way to see <laughs> so what did come out on the other side yeah and how has things changed for you mm -hmm. Um, so they've gone through uh, many iterations and, you know, I think it's nice to consider that like umbrella of, of conscious parenting. Um, again, I think, I think we, we are using these terms that are so clean when it's so messy, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's almost like, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, like, do you bring, the yoga to your kids? Do your kids do yoga? Like, do you teach them meditation? And it's kind of like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, for two reasons, you know, one is I see that they're already in altered states on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. They have the capacity to focus on their play in a way that is um, generative and self-healing as they work play. Um, they have a capacity to be in relationship with nature in a way that is so pure and open, you know? Um, so why would I want to alter that? You know, what, what do I see in that? That's not enough. So that's, for me, it's like, it's almost like conscious parenting happens when we fully come to terms with our unconscious parenting, you know, <laughs> totally. and we're like, okay, um, the child is quote misbehaving and there's something going on here. And where in myself am I experiencing or do I still hold those same feelings, sensations, outbursts? Um, a really great way to say it that I heard recently is, you know, it's kind of like we look at another person and instead of saying, oh, I can't stand that about them, we can say, oh, I can't stand uh, like I'll use a woman, for example, just to give it more context. Oh, I can't stand that part of her in me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I look at the relationship with the child and um, rather than just like applying kind of a conscious methodology on top of a sticky relationship or moment, it's like, how do I go right into that and go, oh, where is my mess in that? Mm -hmm. you know? And where do I carry that in me? Um, and like, that just seems to bring me personally back above the water over and over and over again. It's like recognizing that, you know, um, whatever they're experiencing, I would experience it if I were them too. And being able to do that kind of, um, that generous thing where you really put yourself in another person for a moment, you know, mm -hmm. totally. And, yeah. See it in you. 
Wow, I love this because it's also you're taking responsibility that this is actually a reaction that I am not accepting things as they are in that moment. And also by doing that, you're you're showing them directly and indirectly um, and they will see it more and more as they grow, I'm sure, um, to... I'm sorry about these extra noises. I don't know if you can hear them, but um, yeah, it's just beautiful how you show them that the inner work happens within you just as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of, it is like they will enact what they see in terms of behavior, right? Cause we're, we're, um, we're mammals before we're humans, I believe. And, and we're going to copy Mm-hmm. the language we're going to copy the movements that we see um, in those early years and all the way up you know at least till seven years old and beyond um, we're going to copy those movements of those closest to us mm-hmm. and so um, rather than trying to like apply a technique for me it's it's so much about just like witnessing myself in these moments you know or if the moment's really hardcore <laughs> you know um, as soon as the rush, the flood is over, you know, um, the cortisol is gone. Mm -hmm. Then looking at it from that place and going, wow, you know, Mm -hmm. that was quite a storm. You know, what, what is it in me um, that I've learned through that experience Mm -hmm. that needs my nurturing, my mothering, like what in me needs more mothering? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love how you just said that. Yeah. It just makes so much sense. And I, there must be so much humbling in this, so much softening in this, so much, um, even though, like we said in, initially, like there's so many moments that are not graceful and you call it messy or hardcore. And in <laughs> the essence of all of that is just getting closer and closer and closer to your own truth, right? Right, right. Yeah. And even, you know, having studied some adult development, it's fascinating. Um, there's kind of a, a precept that in order to grow as adults, um, we need a certain kind of like critical um, adversity. Like we need, and the way it's put, this is through Keegan and Leahy's work, but um, the way it's put is like, it needs to be an ongoing frustration that is not easily overcome, um, that taps on or triggers a place that you care about in your life, um, but doesn't create overwhelm. Hmm. So there's this like little window, you know? Um, And I think in the early years of especially single parenting, I've predominantly been a single parent with some partnerships and, and lovely support and also challenging support along the way. But as a single parent, um, there was a lot of that time in the red or in overwhelm that meant that I wasn't really developing, you know, mm-hmm. as an adult, like I wasn't, I wasn't growing. And mm-hmm. that was so hard for me as someone who like loves to grow. And I think that itself, um, when I became aware of like, oh, wow, I, my overwhelm is keeping me from my own growth you know, what, and then, then the questions changed. It wasn't like, you know, um, how can I be the best mother I can be? And how can I be the best yogi? But like, how can I 
nurture and mother my overwhelm because it's the overwhelm itself that is keeping things where they are, you know? Um, and so that was a huge refocus also of mm -hmm. just really kind of like naming the mess and saying, I am often overwhelmed on a daily basis and I don't want to live that way. Mm -hmm. And what is going to bring me out of that space? That reframe must have meant a huge shift in perspective. Yeah. And it also really kind of like, it pulled up this root of perfectionism mm -hmm. that is even there in Vedanta, it's even there in um, Buddhist scripture, like the idea of perfection. And um, while I can take the spirit of, of how incredible it is to purify one's mind and body towards that kind of perfect seeing of the world as it is, I think without the right amount of mothering and self-care and self-love that can get actually kind of twisted and turned into tension, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. So what were some of your tools to mother yourself in this after the reframe? What were some of those tools, be it mental, emotional, or physical ways of caring for, for you through this? Yes, this is so important. I feel like, you know, and even at, I want to just tack this back to the very earliest days at the ashram. Um, I had a teacher, Swami Bhageshananda in Bali. And he said, when you go to the ashram, the most important thing you can do is wake up early and go to the puja at 5.45 a.m. Like everyone will be all excited about the classes and the meditations, but like, do not miss the ritual. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I just had so much faith in teacher. I said, deal. Like I was, you know, I was a diehard and, and I was there at 545 and it was beautiful. Um, and now having gone through this experience of recognizing the overwhelm, um, what I ended up returning to was ritual. And um, ritual took on a whole different meaning for me. Mm. Uh, it was no longer really about uh, the god or goddess on the altar, but it was about recognizing that I had to mark the difference in my day between like the mundane and the sacred. And, um, and I needed to do it in almost an ostentatious way so that I had no way out of claiming like this is sacred space. And within this space, whatever comes up, is exactly what's supposed to be here, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, the way I began was um, I just kind of listened to myself and then a lot, whenever that happens, that deep listening, it was like, I made the ask, you know, like, okay, <laughs> you know, on my knees, throw me a bone. Like, what am I supposed to be praying to? Like, what am I supposed to do in these moments? Um, what do you want from me? You know, that was like the prayer was like, what, what can I do? How can I be a vehicle? Um, how can I be a vessel? Um, you know, in essence, like I know Oprah says it a lot, like use me, <laughs> like how, how would you have me used in this life and day? And I think that opened the space to actually gaining the insight of like, what is my ritual that's for me and not just like part of another culture. Um, and not adopted and not 
um, dogmatic in any way. I mean, I always had the feeling in my body praying to Lakshmi or Durga, uh, Saraswati, all these years. But it wasn't until I really asked for like the medicine that I needed in this messy moment of my life um, that I was given a goddess who I had never heard of before, Kwatlikwe. Uh, she's um, Mesoamerican. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's an apocalyptic mother. You know, she's the mother of life and death. Uh, wow. In her story, she actually... Um, there was a point where she dismembered herself uh, in her story and was dismembered. And then she puts herself back together. And so I was just enamored by the fact that, you know, you ask and it is given. And so I had a new image in front of me and, and I would start every morning with my rituals, you know, calling in the directions, like making it big, letting my kids see it. Um, and, and really just making sure that if nothing else happened, that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, what a, what a stepping stone for the day and also setting that vibration. I mean, and they, like you're saying, they saw it, but they must also have felt it because I, I mean, it, you must have gone through that fire daily. Yeah. Yeah. And what was there? Sorry, there's a delay. So I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No problem. Um, And there's like a part of the work with her that is, um, it's all about offering up your mess. So you literally offer up like your tendency to, um, let me see, I want to give you something real. So like my tendency to get sharp when my son collapses right? Um, To push that away. Um, So I would find all these things in me and I would offer them up and they would be my offering to the altar in place of like flowers and candles. And, you know, my mess became my offering. And that was a really big deal. Wow. I feel like that's what ritual is about. Mm -hmm. When it hasn't been you know, we're, we're taking these rituals from other cultures, but a lot of it is on autopilot for a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily go under the surface and make it our own, like you're describing here. I feel like that's such an essential part to connect with it at depth. So yay for you. And, and also what were the kids, um, kind of what, how did they mirror that? How did they, um, yeah, were there any effect on the kids when they've been probably for years now been seeing this and seeing you um, in that humble space of, of being on your knees with your eyes closed and just offering yourself up? Well, and I want to be, you know, super honest about the, the mess, as I call it, because there were really big periods of that where um, they didn't see me do this. And okay. um, they saw me in relationships that were really struggling. They saw me, um, you know, in court, they saw, you know, so they've seen it all. Mm. And I just want to make sure that that's like represented. And, and I think, you know, what I'd like to say is that the most important thing at the end of the day for me with them is that they know I have their back Mm -hmm. and that anything I do, including, you know, showing up for court 
I didn't instigate that because I'm not, um, I don't like the litigation system, but, you know, even showing up for that and being willing to fight a good fight um, was a way that I had their back, you know, and, um, and then, you know, in being in relationship that they saw me, you know, exiting a relationship that was not serving us, um, even though culturally it would have made our life a lot easier, mm. you know. Um, so they watched that. And so I think they've seen the humility, but they've also seen um, sometimes like what it takes on the front lines when things don't go the way we think they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And um and I think I'm starting to value it more. I think at the time I judged myself a lot for it. Like, like you're saying like, oh my God, this is what my children are seeing. This is so horrible. Like I want them to have this peaceful existence on the land, you know? And um, so just, you know, for right now, um, I think the most important thing, the most important thing that I'm showing them is self-love because There are going to be times when I'm on my knees and they see the ritual daily. There's going to be periods where they don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, but what they're going to see is me loving myself in that process to the best of my capacity. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful gift to them. And obviously you, you gift them in every moment where you show up for yourself and for them. Yeah. And you do see it in them. You know, there are moments when you're like, wow, it's working, (laughs) you know, all the challenge, like they just, they say or do things that are so beautiful. Um, and they, they recover and they repair from things so well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So what are the, some of the things that they have taught you? Oh my goodness. (sighs) Yeah. So as much reverence as I have for my teacher, Um, I have as much reverence for these little teachers Mm -hmm. in my life. And, um, yeah, Audie, Audie really taught me that, um, that family matters, like my own biological family. And that was really challenging for me because I separated from my biological family early on, not like totally, but I recognized, you know, they were going down a path, um, that was not mine. And Mm -hmm. I needed to make that separation. So I did a lot of individuating really early on and, um, and had a different lifestyle. Um, but with Audie, when he came into the picture, he really kind of saved my mom's life. And, um, he brought me back into a really deep, deep relationship with my father. And, um, and I remember Swami Dayananda talking about this and, Uh, talking to a student, asking them about their life. And, you know, they were saying, oh yeah, my parents live here and I live here. And he was like, what? No, you go be by your parents. You know, (laughs) they gave you the gift of this life. Um, But in the Western mindset, we just kind of were so individual, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think Audie really helped me um, come back to that space of, you know, we're all in this together and, and reciprocity, like making sure that the gifts that are given um, are given back. Um, so that was really big from Audie Man. And he just teaches me, um, 
I would say like what he does for me most is he reflects to me my incongruencies. <laughs> so Adi will always let me know when I'm off the mark um, mm. in a way that is at times ruthless, but always welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but people will say things like, does he always call you? <laughs> it's like, yes, he does. Um, yeah. It's a great teacher. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were driving the other day and he said something to the effect of, you know, uh, if nothing goes right, go left mom, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> don't make this a thing. You know, he's always reminding me like, it's your choice to get stressed out. It's your choice. Um, how you handle this. So yeah. (laughs) yeah. And daughters, man, I feel like my daughter really, um, has taught me about tenderness, like Mm. even the way that she'll like hold my face and look me in the eyes and, um, And the way that she has a relationship to nature that is so inherently mothering, you know, the way she places things, the way she like tucks things in, you know, she just, you watch it and you go, my God, I think we're all this way, but we're just preoccupied, you know, but Mm -hmm. she's not, she just takes so much care with everything. So, yeah. Beautiful. Wow. 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 And for I'm, I'm sure when we're talking sadhana can look in a lot of different ways and you shared a little bit about ritual but when it comes to practice uh, was there any type of emotions tied to you know altering modifying your practice before during after pregnancy and as the kids have grown your practice be it physical or you know meditation or pranayama any has it morphed and how has it changed? And has there been any stumbling blocks or any lessons throughout that process? If we're looking at sadhana kind of aside. Right. Um, so absolutely it's changed. I think there's still grief, you know, for the practice I had before my daughter was born. Um, my back bending, my hand standing, my, you know, just things that made me feel alive mm-hmm. um, and vital. Um, like I miss the depth of that practice. Mm. I also see it as just, this is a moment in time and it doesn't mean that that won't come back. Um, Mm. For me now, you know, and even both pregnancies, I was actually very active and I did a lot of yoga. Um, I actually really recommend um, a lot of yoga during pregnancy, but not, it just like it, in the end, it's all about where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is a way that it can be done that can make birth harder. Um, so it's just a matter of like being with your body in an embodiment practice um, during that period will make the birth so much more. Um, I want to say like it will allow you to slip into birth like you slip into a practice, you know? Wow. Um, and then postpartum is always just this like, crazy um oxytocin breastfeeding period where (laughs) all of your particular goals kind of just fade into this um connection that you have with another human so in that period I kind of just don't even try to practice um 
but the nature of my work is I teach. So I kind of always come back to my practice. And to be honest, like I knew early on with my son at about a year and a half, if I didn't start teaching consistently, I might not keep a practice. So it's almost as if like being a yoga teacher is my way of keeping my practice alive as a mother, because there might not be time for my yoga, another job, my children, you know. Um, And then, yeah, there's one more thing I want to say just about um, the changes in practice that happen um, as a mothering body. And I feel like um, the really important thing for me, like I'm trying to think specifically, um, you know, my practice is always changing. Different pranayamas are always um, arising and falling to the surface of the practice. And I think what I want to say is that it's just about deep listening, Mm -hmm. you know, deep listening. Cause like right now it's like, I have this thing in me where I just, I want to be practicing more. Like I want to get back in to my muscles, but when I listen deeply and I'm sitting in my meditation, it's just not time for that right now. Mm -hmm. So just be patient. You know, the message is like, be patient. And my, my, conditioning is like itchy, you know, itchy for movement. And um, so I think in that way, it will test our our patience. And, and if we can just hold out, you know, um, the movement comes back, you know, it floods back in. Um, And also like looking for what brings us to our aliveness. Right. So it's, you know, like right now for me, it's all about being out in nature Mm -hmm. and taking these long walks and then coming back and doing 30 minutes of flow, Mm -hmm. you know, just 30 minutes. I always do 33 for the goddess, but like if nothing (laughs) else, 33 minutes a day, you know, like that's enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's seven minutes a day, but I love timers. Like that's huge as a parent. Um, I'll just like put a timer on my oven and be like, I'm moving for this amount of time, everyone. (laughs) And to be honest, a lot of times if my kids are home, the moment I hit my mat, they're just like leeches on my body. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, they just go right for it, you know? And so then there's that, you just have to kind of do the whole birth all over and give it up, give it over, you know? Yep again and again and again <laughs> again and again and again yep. it's like it used to be going to practice you know now it's like you try to practice but you give it up again and again and again. <laughs> but even just that and them getting glimpses of you uh, you know being flexible also in terms of not physically but also being um willing to just meet them in the moment even if you it's a your own your time on your mat but you're willing to include them on your back as you do it or whatever um, and also, I just really love how you brought up the deep listening, because I feel like there's so much in our contemporary culture about what um, yoga should look like as you're going through these phases of your body changing and then after birth and all of these things. But it's really about your own intuition and that deep listening is honoring where you're at in this very moment. And um, I just feel it's very important to remember that, that you are your own guide or you have the answers within you if if you just listen deep enough yes and I mean if that is that's such the gem to like land on because 
even in yoga, we're operating right in a market paradigm that says, here's a prescription. If you do this, it'll just be an upward transition forevermore. If you just follow the protocol, you know, and, um, and the truth is different than that, right? The truth is when I, when I listen deeply, I have exactly what I need for the next moment and the Mm -hmm. next moment. Um, And so, and also I just want to add that, you know, in terms of the mothering body and, and how it's been, um, I would say leveraged for the market all this time, like part of what women um, and mothers have is the quality and element of magic. And magic just means that we're not doing things on a time-space continuum. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all it is. It's like, we're not actually operating from um, time. And, And so to come back to that deep listening is to actually say, you know what? Um, yeah, I'm not actually going to practice from the space of culture. I'm going to practice from the space of timelessness, <laughs> you know, totally. from leaving, leaving psychological time behind and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. I, I, you know, I feel like you're hitting on something that should overflow to anyone within their practice. Actually, it's not just parents or mothers I feel like if if everyone could it's not even harnessing that it's it's tapping into that be willing be welcoming to go there and and almost have the courage because that's like diving into the mystery to me that's the the heart of it all but it's so easy to just follow prescription or want quick pills even if it is a yoga practice that takes two hours so it's still I'm doing what I've been told Um, But there is so much and I've seen it from afar in terms of your physical practice and what you've shared online and so forth and through your courses and whatnot that it's just been such a that the grace that comes out of that deep listening and I wish people could see more of you and I guess that's a nice segue into your calls of actions because I just really want people to be able to connect with you and and see it for themselves because you're radiating that grace that comes out of that deep listening and um yeah uh so I just yeah I gotta say thank you for seeing that it you know it takes two to tango and it just means a lot to me (laughs) that someone can recognize where I'm coming from and um so what is next you know in terms of what I'm able to offer um the community and and yogis is I'm going to be hosting a 200-hour yoga teacher training. Um, the dates and times are to be announced, but it will begin sometime in January of 2022. And um, I have a wait list on my website for that. So what I'm doing is we're collecting all the, um, I would say, like, like-hearted people on mm-hmm. that list. And then soon here in November, I'll be releasing when we begin and what the structure of that looks like. Um, And it really is so incredible to have people live in the studio and being able to do the work, the embodiment work, you know, of Mm -hmm. living what we're talking about. So. Yay. Yeah. 
And believe it or not, I, I wasn't on your newsletter list, but I just signed up because I just realized, oh my God, I, <laughs> I really want to keep sharing what you're putting out there. So uh, keep me in the loop of anything like this and I'll send it out to um, the people on our list as well. Beautiful. Thank you. For sure. And um, I saw somewhere on your website that you actually have doula background. Are you coaching individuals in, in, you know, this on the topic of mothering and sadhana and birthing? And is there, if people have more questions, can they reach out to you on these topics or? Yes, I love, I love coaching on those topics. And of course, I'm always bringing in that like deep self-responsibility or self-leadership aspect. Cool. Um, but yeah, I really consider myself like a pre-birth doula and a post-birth doula. So, you know, I'm really there for for the mother in preparation and in recovery. Cool. Um, I think those are the lacking spaces. So that's where I work most. Yeah. Great, great, great. Wow. And um, any other calls to action before we wrap this conversation? Sure. I guess just to say that I work um, digitally a lot now and it's been so incredible um, because then I can work with people via distance across borders, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and so there is a space on my website for private work. And even though the doula portion, the mothering portion is not highlighted yet, um, the, the private coaching, the Zoom coaching covers all of that, you know, in the intake. So yeah, the uh, support is there, you know, for those that want it and need it and are ready. Yeah, this is beautiful. And if people want to find out more, it's devotedyogi.com, correct? Yep, devotedyogi.com. And on Instagram, I'm very um, minimalist. I come on every so often for some sneak appearance, but mm -hmm. I am there at devoted.yogi. Cool. And I uh, highly recommend people to check out your um, Instagram TV stuff um, you, or videos on there. You've had some really interesting short conversations, but there's always a lot of food for thought, which I appreciate with you. It's it's, um, you know, you're cutting out the bullshit. You go straight to the point, And I love that. <laughs> and I love you. So thank you for sharing your heart the way you are. Bless you and bless all of you out there. Thank you so much. Jai, jai, jai. <laughs>
we just want to say thank you for tuning in and for being part of this and for really letting yourself take the time to immerse yourself in these conversations and hopefully it brings you what you need in this very moment so until next time Harion Tatsat.